Babe Ruth was one of the great baseball players of, of our time, perhaps of any time. Uh, near the end of his career, after he had already got his 714 home runs, that would stand until Hank Aaron would, would actually beat them. He was playing for the Braves. The Yankees had traded him. He had reached the back end of his career. This was not doing well. He was overweight, couldn't run as fast, couldn't hit as hard. Uh, he's playing before the Braves, and they're playing against the uh, Reds. And uh, the Babe made some errors, struck out, uh, but the error that he had done uh, had actually allowed the Reds to score five runs, lost the game for him, and the crowd just erupts uh, with boos and hisses and uh, cat calls and things like that. There were even people up in the stands shaking their fists at Babe Ruth. And, you know, Babe's career, had, he was he's the Babe. Um, but this, this, the stadium turned against him because he wasn't the babe. And the, the story that I've read in the sports history book, a little boy, and this couldn't happen today, but a little boy climbed over the railing and ran out to Babe Ruth and just grabbed onto the babe's leg as hard as he could because babe was his hero. Didn't matter to the kid if babe won the game or lost the game or hit one out of the park or got a fly out. He didn't care because that was his hero. And Babe did something very cool. He just kind of turned around, patted the boy on the head, and took the boy's hand, and both of them walked off the field together. There was a whole crowd there that really reflects the type of love that the world has for most of us, typically. As long as we're doing well, people are okay with us. As long as we're making bank or getting our stacks right or making them money or making them happy or making whatever, they'll love you. They'll appreciate you. They'll think you're a star. But the moment maybe you fail or maybe you drop the ball or you stumble, uh, maybe they don't love you as much. Y'all, I've got some great news for you today. God loves you whether you strike out or whether you hit a home run. He loves you whether you make a foul or whether you're a golden, gold, uh, a golden glove player and you make an incredible play. He doesn't stop loving you. Even on the wrong road, God loves you. You know, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, sent His Son to die for us. Uh, church, God knows all about us, but He loves us anyway with an unconditional love. You are not too far for God to reach you no matter where you're at. Your batting average is not so bad that He still won't come out and grab you and love you. You are not too far gone for God to restore you. Y'all want to do a real quick uh, review. We've been in uh, Tony Evans's book, U-Turns, uh, Reversing the Consequences of Your Life. Uh, this is our Connect Group study. And we're looking today at, at idols. Uh, but the last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, really what it means to, to walk away from sin or to turn from sin or get back with God, get back into that fellowship and that covenantal relationship with God, uh, being back on His side, being in the spot where God uh, wants us to be. And what we found out was, number one, we choose to get away from God or we choose to stay with God. You see that uh, implicitly throughout the entire Scripture. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose life or death, blessing, curse, favor, not favor. Uh, we all have a choice to make, and God doesn't make that choice for us. We make that choice. We have free will. We're free moral will agents, so we can choose that. What we don't get to choose are our consequences. God chooses our consequences, but what we found out is when we make those choices and obey God, uh, the consequences are a lot less severe, and typically there's blessing attached with worship and obedience. Uh, so we talked about choices and consequences. And what that looks like for us as Christians to be obedient to Jesus is we're following the Word of God. We're loving God, loving people, telling people about Jesus, living like Jesus. That's what it looks like when we're on the road that we're supposed to. Uh, but we make some decisions sometime and we get off that road. We get off on a back road or we take the wrong exit. Uh, and what that is, it's called sin. Church, would you say sin? Yeah, 70% of the churches in America today won't say that word within the four walls. But it's sin. Sin is any violation of God's divine standard, whether by commission or omission. Sin is any violation of God's divine standard, whether by commission or omission. And Brother Mike, what's that? That sounds kind of Catholic-y. Uh, commission is a sin where you know that it's wrong, but you do it anyway, okay? You know you're not supposed to gossip, but guess what? You do it anyway. You know you're not supposed to commit adultery, guess what? You do it anyway. That's a sin of commission. You've committed to it. Uh, 
A uh, sin of omission is when you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it. Go back in your mind to the story of the Good Samaritan, the Levite and the priest. They knew they should have helped the old guy alongside the road had been beat up by robbers. The Levite knew it was the right thing to do, but he didn't do it. That was an omission. The priest knew that it was the right thing to do, but he didn't do it. That was a sin of omission. The one that came by, the Good Samaritan, the one that took him to the end and said, take care of him, I'll be back if I owe you anything. He nailed it. So any violation of God's, uh, God's divine standard by either commission or omission is a sin. James 4, 17 says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do but doesn't do it, sins. Then we talked about uh, how do we get away from that? How do we back out of that? Because if sin takes us off the road, how do we get back to where God wants us to be? Well, the word is repentance. Repentance is the key that shakes that sin off you, that breaks the chains of sin off your life. It allows you to go back to where God wants you to be, underneath that umbrella of blessing, that umbrella of covering. Uh, and for most of us, we kind of were raised and we cut our teeth on the idea that repentance is what happens when somebody walks an aisle and they're just weeping and they're crying, man, they're getting things right with God. You know, we feel good about that when we see that, and I think there's an element that that's fine. But that's not all there is to it. We found out that there were two different kinds of sorrow people feel towards sin. Number one, there is a, a worldly sorrow. You feel bad that you got caught, or maybe you feel bad that nobody knows what your sin is. Take, for, uh, take for example, Judas. When Judas betrayed Jesus uh, with the kiss, he regretted it. In fact, he took his money. He took his 30 pieces of silver, went back to the temple, threw it in there, and said, man, I, I messed up. I don't want no part of this. And they said, dude, that's your money. That's your choice. That's on you. And so he goes out, jumps off a cliff, and hangs himself, falls down, guts all over the place. He le he's left empty. Did he regret what he did? Yeah. Did he regret it enough to change? No, that's worldly sorrow. Man, feeling bad about our sin? I mean, that's cool. I think it's got to start there. But if it doesn't lead us to change, then it's just worldly sin. God says, I have a, a sorrow that I have for you that if you do it, it leads to repentance. You get back in. Well, what does godly sorrow look like, preach? Uh, same night, same story, but this guy's name is Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times. I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. And by the way, Jesus had said, dude, before the morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, ah, you're out of your mind. Well, you know what happens. But after that, Peter didn't go off and jump off a cliff. He was, a, he was one of the first disciples at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday. He was the, he was the disciple that stepped out of the boat and walked on water. He's, he's the dude who preached at Pentecost and thousands of people got saved. Did he feel bad about what he did on the night Jesus was betrayed? Did Peter feel bad about what he did? Yeah. Did he change? Yeah. That's godly sorrow. And there's a difference. And I'm sure that every single one of you in this room, you, you know the difference. This, this, this isn't rocket surgery. Uh, so you, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all, this week we're going to shift a, a little bit. We're going to talk about repentance, but from a particular, uh, uh, from a particular idol. Um, repentance is basically three things. Number one, you acknowledge that you've messed up. Number two, you turn from your sin. Number three, you turn to God. All three of those have to be present or it's, not, it's really not repentance. You acknowledge your sin, you turn from your sin, and you turn to God. Today we're going to look, about, we're going to look at idols. It's going to be idle time today. Uh, we shift to working through a specific U-turn that each of us need, and it begins with idols. We live in an era of selfies. Uh, people take selfies, you know, in front of the arch or in front of a canyon or in front of a great plate of food. Uh, we're freaks about selfies. We'll put filters on there so we look, you know, younger, fresher or whatever, more better. Um, but I, 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 I wonder if God would take a selfie uh, because he said that whole thing, don't make any graven image of me. Don't put anything up like that. I don't think God would be taking selfies. But if we were looking for an example of a selfie God took... We need, to go, uh, we need not go any further than the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's selfie. That's who God looks like. That's what God looks like. In fact, the Bible says this, church, in the book of John 14, verse 8 through 11, Phil said, Lord, show us the Father, and we're going to be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Phil, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen... I am the, I am the selfie of God. That's me. 
but you go back in the book of Leviticus, I mean, God tells His people all the time, do not make any graven image out of anything. Uh, don't make idols or set up carved images or sacred pillars or sculpted stones in your land so you may worship them. Don't do that because I am the Lord your God. Don't be going over there. Y'all, other than Jesus, He told humanity, don't even attempt to make an image of him because all we'll do is mess it up. Remember back in the day when you would go to a carnival or something and there was a photo booth and you would go in there with somebody you like or maybe you don't like and it would take a series of pictures and the little bitty strip of pictures. Now, huh? Those, okay, but they weren't the best. You wouldn't use one of those as your senior picture, all right? Because they're kind of cruddy. Um, it's not a real crisp picture. It's not a real good image. It's sort of like a, a Polaroid. Going back over your family pictures, we probably all, some of us of a certain age, we all have Polaroids. They don't look as good as 35 millimeter, uh, 35 millimeter film. Yeah, 35 mil, uh, millimeter film. Uh, it's just a poor representation. I think that's one of the reasons why God said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Because all you'll do is mess it up. You won't get it right. You just won't be able to do it. And so God says, do not cheapen me by making an image of me. If you want me, I'm the real thing. Here I am. Church, our idol, the image that we set up, is something that it can be a person, place, or thing that takes our focus off God, takes our attention off God, takes our heart away from God, diminishes our love for God, diminishes our dependence upon his strength anything person place or thing that does that to our relationship with god we can call an idol it doesn't have to be made of wood or made of gold uh, it's a person or place or, or, or a thing uh, that we will go to or honor that we should be going to god for our idol is anything that we go to to get something that we should be going to God for. Man, Suzanne came into my office this morning. God bless her. She's with the cane and she's hobbling around. Y'all know Miss Suzanne. She's a godly woman. She came in there and she was actually looking for Miss Pam. And I said, Miss Suzanne, how are you doing this morning? She says, well, I'm not very steady today. I'm having a tough day. I'm, uh, I have an unsteady gait. And she said, but I prayed this morning, Pastor. And I prayed to God and I told him, I don't have any strength today, so I'm going to have to use yours. I don't have any strength today, so I'm going to have to use yours. And she said, preach, all I want to do is have eyes that see God and ears that hear the voice of God, and I want to love and obey Him. And then I thought this, how many of us would have stayed home if we had to come in here on a cane and we didn't feel like coming? How many of us would have said, well, it just ain't worth it? I can tell you right now, that woman does not have an idol in her life. Because she said, I don't have the strength, but you do. When we go to an idol, we go to the idol to receive something that we should be going to God for. And Miss Suzanne was going to God. Y'all, those images that we put up, they're often distorted, very distorted view of the spiritual realm. And any distortion of who God is, really is, can become an idol. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Second Chronicles. That's on the way on, way back in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 33. There's several verses there I'm going to hit on, so you might want to turn there. Uh, I'm going to talk about a, a king. His name was Manasseh. Manasseh became king when he was 12 years old. Think about when you were 12 years old. Did you have the qualifications to be a king or a queen over a land? You know, I, I know I wouldn't have. Uh, the only thing I was worried about when I was 12 was me. Uh, and, but that's the way this old boy did. And I'd like to tell you he was a great and glorious king, but uh, maybe that wasn't the case. Uh, his daddy, Hezekiah, was a good, godly man. When Hezekiah passed, uh, Hezekiah had a legacy. He had, he, had read, uh, he, had, he had established in the temple that it was, this, it was a pure temple, it was a pure place. He led his family and his nation into a love with God. He was the real deal. He died. Manasseh comes up, his boy. Um, I guess he was the real deal too, but in the other direction. Y'all, if you have your Bible, I'm, wanna, I'm going to uh, start reading a little bit on that passage. 
in Manasseh, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Now, this is interesting, those next couple words. He did what was evil in, in the sight of whom? Okay, man, that's, that's really kind of all you need to know about Manasseh. I'm going to read some more to you, but that's what you need to know. Uh, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites, uh, when the children of Israel went into, to, uh, went into the land, there were Hittites, Canaanites, Jebusites, uh, Ammonites. There were all these, these ites there, and they had all different kinds of gods. And when the Jews came, they removed all those from the high places, removed all of them from the land. And what Manasseh does, uh, did is he went back to worshiping those gods that had been kicked out. I mean, what the heck? I mean, that wasn't a good move. That wasn't a good decision. I just want to let you know that this is the guy who did evil on the side of the Lord. Let's pick it up there with maybe verse 4 or 3. Number 3. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up ashtarah poles. Ashtarah poles were long, looked like a telephone pole, and they would have a god up on the top of them. If you go to every other hill, you could go up there and worship in a high place this pagan god. Uh, he built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire of the valley of Ben-Hamon, uh, which is uh, Gehenna, which is that valley right outside Jerusalem. This, would have been the, uh, this is the valley that Judas would have jumped off the cliff of. This is back in the day where the Old Testament folks would sacrifice their children. There was this huge 12-foot bronze uh, bull in the center of it was a hole and they would put fire down in the hole and they would they would heat this thing up with that fire down there and they would pass their kids through the hole and roast them cook them that was sacrifice um what it was was abortion is really what it was you're killing that child and manasseh did that to his own kids he did evil in the sight of the lord Manasseh also sacrificed his sons, verse 7, Mike. Manasseh even took a, car, a carved idol he had made and set it up where? Dude, that's a big no-no. That's like in the top four of the, of the, uh, the, uh, in the Ten Commandments. He puts up an idol in, in the church, in the, in the temple of this foreign god. Y'all, and apparently the people were okay with it, man. If we would do that in church today, it'd go over about like a beer keg at a Baptist picnic, man. That's just something you don't do. But yet, that's what this dude did. All right. Uh, verse 8. Um, if the Israelites will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile for this land that I set aside for your ancestors. But Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more bad stuff and to worship pagan, uh, 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 do more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they all, yeah, they turned off their GPS. We don't want to hear the right direction. We don't want to recalculate. We don't want no U-turn. We know this road. I'm not going to stop for instructions. I'm just going to keep on going ahead. All right. Bad time. Man, and the nation's feeling it, the kingdom's feeling it, the king's feeling it. And this was a nation that was doing all the other perversions that the surrounding nations had done. There was no difference between Manasseh's kingdom and secular kingdoms. Okay, that was his choice. Nobody made Manasseh do that. Nobody forced him to do that. Nobody put a gun to his head to do it. It was his choice. What's the consequence? It ain't good. Look in verse 11. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies, Babylonian armies, and they took Manasseh prisoner. What'd they do? Surely it wasn't that bad. No, nah, they put a ring in his nose. They carried him off with, with bronze chains. They took him into Babylon. That's the consequence. The guy left the throne, left the town, left his power, his wealth, his prestige, and he had to go to exile. All right, bad time. So what happens? Well, there has to be a turnaround. And if this dude wouldn't have done a turnaround, I probably wouldn't use him today. But he did have a turnaround. Let me show you what that looked like. Verse 12. But while in deep distress, on the wrong road, Manasseh sought the Lord. Why? Because he knew that was the source. He had been going to pagan idols to get power, money, influence, prestige, uh, reputation. And he says, oh man, dude, I've been going to the wrong place. He had a turnaround, and now he's going back to God. Uh but while in distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He's saying, man, I don't have it. 
I don't have it all together. I'm on the wrong road. I need to turn back on my GPS. Maybe I need to pull over and ask somebody for instructions. He knows that he's lost. And when he prayed, the Lord did what? He didn't say, shut up, Manasseh, you had your shot. He didn't say, nope, you didn't hit a home run. I'm not going to talk to you. He didn't say, nope, you screwed up. You made a foul and you lost the game for everybody. He said, cool, I'm glad to have you back. Look what the Lord says. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and he was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And Manasseh finally realized that the, Lord, uh, that the Lord alone is God. After Manasseh rebuilt the, basically the next couple of verses is all the stuff that he tore, uh, all the stuff that he had built for the pagan idols, dude tears them down and goes back to what daddy used to do. Now here's a cool thing about all this. The consequence had been reversed for Manasseh. But remember how the nation followed him? Remember how the nation, they got engaged into the pagan politics. And they got engaged into pagan worship. Manasseh came back to God, but there's, there's a deeply troubling verse here in verse 17. Manasseh was right with God. However, the people still sacrificed at the pagan shrines, though only to the Lord their God. Man, something happened. Those consequences still bled out. And church, you can make a U-turn in your own life that doesn't mean that all the consequences will be reversed. You can be a man and you can lead your family uh, well or not well. Lead them to God or away from God. And maybe later in life you come to the Father and you get your life right. There might be consequences in your family because you led them in the wrong way. But I will tell you this, even those kids that seem like they have gone in the wrong direction, they are still not too far for God to reach. God can bring them back. Don't give up on God. I want to look at Manasseh's turnaround because he did something with his idle time that's unique, uh, not just to him, uh, but I think it's unique for Christians as we come back to God. Number one, Manasseh got the turnaround. Uh, he was in the control of, of, of Israel. He was the king, became king when he was 12 years old, but he did evil on the side of the Lord. Manasseh was raised in a faithful home. Hezekiah was his daddy. Uh, Hezekiah loved the Lord, but, but, but I've got to assume at this one verse, and I do understand what the Bible says, train up the child and the way they should go and when they're old they will not depart from it I believe that promise but can I tell you what sometimes you can still do your level best to raise a kid to love the Lord and they may not preacher you know what you just said yeah I just said what happened in the book of 2nd Chronicles chapter 33 why because your kids are going to make their own choice just like you are making your own choice Sadly, man, I wish we could make our choices for our kids, don't you? Don't you wish you could? Because I sure love when my parents made the choices for me. <laughs> so I want you to understand something, parents. Make sure you're on the right road because the devil always wants to take your kids to the wrong road. Go into it armed. Go into it with a game plan. Go into it uh, that, uh, like that. The entire nation wound up worshiping other idols. They got, they got wrapped up in sorcery. They got wrapped up in psychics, child sacrifice, witchcraft, Satanism, spells. And the whole culture was saying, oh, dude, that's cool. And no, what God calls cool, I'm sorry, what God calls an abomination, isn't it crazy how culture will call it cool? <laughs> What God says is detestable, the world is following. And that's exactly what's going on in here, man. This thing was written about 4,000 years ago, but it could have been written last week. What God calls an abomination, the world and the culture calls cool. God, and here's the thing. What we see in this is God proves something. God does not tolerate coming in second place in our life. He's not going to compete. He's not going to uh, try to force his way into our life and, and things like that. Church, the Israelites were strictly told, don't carve, create, build, or fashion anything that would stand in resemblance of God. And that's exactly what they did. And, and, and uh, God does not tolerate being in competition for His glory. And, and so He punished Manasseh. There was a consequence. And He's not trying to be mean. God is not trying to be mean. But if we don't listen when God speaks, man, you can expect to be disciplined. Y'all ever... 
I don't think I ever got a whipping from my grandfather. Probably, I know I deserved it, but my grandfather never whipped me. My dad? I'm pretty sure DCF probably should have been called a few times. <laughs> Go ahead, call the cops. I'm, I'm lying. Uh, if there's anything I've learned with this message is this. God is my heavenly father. He is not my heavenly grandfather. He will come up alongside my head. And he'll give me the boot. And, and I want to be honest with you. We ought to be thanking God that he loves us enough to discipline us. You ever seen, you ever seen kids that their parents have not disciplined them? Oh, yeah. Hebrews 12, 5-8. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as His children? He said, uh, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He... If He didn't love you, He wouldn't discipline you. If He didn't love you, He, 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 wouldn't, he, he wouldn't punish you. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? Well, come on into Randolph County. Lord, we'll show you a whole bunch. If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means that you are illegitimate and you are not really His children. I'll tell you what, man. The moment He stops disciplining you, you better start worrying. The moment He walks away, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And not everybody's going to dig the change you make. Not everybody's going to do that. They're going to think you're crazy. And this is the amazing thing, man. We live in a time where, where, uh, where, where somebody can hit the books, go to class, never miss class. They don't go partying. They go to the library. They do all they're supposed to do. They're on the who's who's of academia. And they're on the dean's list. And, and we call those people geniuses. If you're an athlete, you might, 12, uh, you might be training 8, 10, 12 hours a day to compete. And you're lifting weights. And you're eating right. Low carb and all that good stuff. And you, you train to be an Olympian. You go to the Olympics, you get a gold medal, we call you a champion. Maybe you're down here at the lodge and you go through all the meetings and you're doing all the civic duties and you're paying all your fees and you've went through all the steps that are going to call you grandmaster. If you're, a, if you're a rock star, you've made all kinds of choices and made all kinds of compromises uh, morally. Uh, and you've lost your family, your kids, but you reach the pinnacle of, of stardom and they call you a superstar. But the moment that you, my friend, begin to get right with God, you're in His Word and you're you're praying, you're on your knees, you are walking the talk and you are living the life, you are weeping over sin, you're involved in the kingdom work, you're a member sitting at the table at the Father's table, and, and they will call you, the, they'll say, that person's a crazy fanatic. Let me tell you something, man. The world might call you crazy, but God calls you His and He calls you more than conquerors. Don't worry about the world's approval like Manessa did because he just wanted to be seen as nothing but important and powerful and influential in his world. Church, the only one that we really need to worry getting approval about is our Heavenly Father. And here's the amazing thing. Whether you're batting 700 or whether you're batting zero, God is still your biggest fan. Manessa got the turnaround, but that's not all he did. Manasseh got turned around and God had to bring him back by getting him down. Thankfully, Manasseh was open to learning or I don't think that turnaround would have ever happened. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 13, when Manasseh prayed to God, God was moved by Manasseh's uh, plea in his heart, his humility. He heard his uh, supplication and he brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom, a kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. Church, God let some very bad things happen to Manasseh so that ultimately things could get a whole lot better for Manasseh. You might be going through some stuff right now, but I, let me tell you something. Your Heavenly Father is in charge and He's not doing it so to hurt you. He's doing it to make things in your life better. So you can come back and turn around. God let things very bad. Uh, let's put Manasseh through the U-turn. This is a U-turn diagram. Um, with what we see on, on what a, 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 a repentant act, uh, re, the act of repentance is, you acknowledge your sin, you repent from your sin, you turn to God. Okay, where would have, where would have Manasseh found himself? He wanted power. He wanted popularity. He wanted to be respected by other nations. He wanted the admiration of his own people. That's what he wanted. What he needed to do 
is, is repent because he was going to these other things as the source of joy and peace and happiness for his life. And what he eventually does to get there is he repents. He says, hey, <laughs> I ain't all that in a bag of chips, God, but you are. You're the source of everything, and things went well. Um, let's run somebody else through this diagram. You familiar with the story of the foolish rich man? I think it's in the book of Luke, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Luke chapter 12. Uh, there's this old boy. Got more money than, than uh, Carter's got liver pills. And he's thinking, man, I, he was a farmer. He's, man, I'm, 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 I'm making bank. And I'm paying all my bills, and I'm going to have to build some bigger barns to keep my stuff in. Man, things going to be really good. The Bible says this. Then someone called from the crowd, Rabbi, please tell my brother to divide up our father's estate with me. Jesus is teaching. Jesus replied, dude, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? It was a civil affair. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced the fine crops. By the way, who made the ground fertile? It was God. Don't ever forget where the blessing comes from in your life don't ever forget where the blessing blooms out of it's because you have a God who loves you and giving you good ground fertile farm that produced fine fruits he said to himself what am I going to do now I don't have room for all my crops then he said oh I'll know what I'm going to do I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones and then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods and I'm going to sit back into myself my friend you have enough stored away for years to come now take it easy Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the guy's retirement plan, okay? That's what he's going to do. And he's got it figured out. I'm going to work till I'm 65, going to get that pension, going to get that health insurance, going to get everything paid off. I'm going to be sitting pretty. He works his tail off to do it, sadly. What that old boy did was he was using himself as the source for his money, for his peace, for his future, for his provision. Nowhere do you see there says, oh, I'm going to get enough so I can help the church. I'm going to give enough so I can help with missions. I'm going to give enough. I'm going to have enough where I can help other people out. Mm -mm, baby. It was all about him. Well, what happens to this? And by the way, uh, in our, in our, in our uh, diagram, in our diagram, that's where he would have been. Where, where is he now? He's wrapped up in himself. Okay, his idol isn't a wooden or silver or gold thing. His idol is him. How can I eat, drink, and be merry and take a cool rest of my life? What he needed to do, what he needed to do is going to be obvious here in a second. Luke, 10, Luke, Luke 12, verse 20 through 21. But God said to him, you fool. What the heck? You're going to die tonight. Then who's going to get all the stuff that's in your barn? Who's going to get all that money? Who's going to get all that stuff that you worked so hard, you killed yourself for, you missed church for, you, uh, you, you neglected your family, you had to be deceptive to, to get ahead, all that, all that stuff, who are you going to leave it for, man? Because your, your life is required of you tonight. Then who will take advantage of it? Who will use that stuff? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Church, say rich relationship with God. Church, a rich relationship with God means you give Him your time, your attention, your focus, yourself. Remember, an idol is any person, place, or thing that we give all of those things to instead of God. This is exactly where this old boy was. Did the rich man make a U-turn? Absolutely not. But I've, I started to think about this. What do you think that old boy felt when he realized it was too late to turn back now? What do you think he felt when he realized... It's Katie barred the door. What do you think his feelings would have been? Remorse? Anything else? Regret? Uh oh, I done messed up. A.A. Ron? What else? Stupid. I love that. I don't know who said it, but very good. That's a smart answer. I guarantee you that's the way I would have felt. Because I would have thought... Daggum, the answers were in front of me all the time, and I just ignored them. I knew better. I agree with you. Church, God can use those consequences, and God will use the consequences of our choices to break us, to get our attention away from the idols, and to put our attention on Him. Now, for most of us, our idols aren't made of wood. We're not worshiping Joe Boo. We're not worshiping an idol made out of silver or gold. Our idols typically look like us. 
something that's going to meet our needs, satisfy our longing. Maybe there are thoughts. I want you to spend a few moments just thinking about what are some things in your life, person, place, or thing, that you go to to satisfy you that you know you should be going to God for? For some of you, it's going to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. For some of you, it's going to be a whole bunch of bottles. For some of you, it might be a whole bunch of bags. For some of you, it might be a whole bunch of power or a whole bunch of whatever. But you go to these things to make you happy and content and bring you joy. But it's taking you off the road that God has for you. It's taking you off the road. Now that you see what those idols are, what steps do you need to take to let them go? Church, God can meet us in the darkest places in our lives, even the furthest reaches of our disappointment, the furthest reaches of our dishonor. But not only can he meet you there, he can meet you there and give you a lift back to where you need to be. He'll take the hook out of your nose and the bronze chains off your hands, and he'll put you back on the throne with him. Church, not only can he meet us, he can lift us back to where we need to to be and redeem us. You're not too far gone that God can't return you to where you need to be. You're just not. Oh, preacher, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. Don't want to know, don't care. Because I know God loves you. And you don't need my approval or the approval of anybody else in this room. But I do tell you one person's approval that you need to seek after, and that's God's. Because at the end of the day, he's the only one that matters. Everything else is our idols. You're not too far gone for God to restore. Church, God loves you even when you're not in the right road because he loves you unconditionally. He loves you too much just to sit back idly and let you continue racing down that road that takes you further from him. This is what God will do. At least he's done this in my life. I get off on the wrong road. What he'll typically do is, A, destroy a bridge on that road that I'm on. He'll close that road. He'll make my car break down. I have to get it towed. And God doesn't do that to be mean or cruel, but because I was made to be with Him, and you were made to be with Him. We were created to be in fellowship with Him. And if we're not, brother, you have a God that loves you enough. He wants you. He wants you back. He's going to chase after you. Church, what idol is in your life that is making God compete for your time, your worship, your obedience, your, your love, your, your life? What's the idol in your life that's robbing God of you? And what do you need to do to tear down that idol? You know, maybe it's porn. Men, women, maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe it's drinking, eating, smoking too much. When you're... This is an interesting question. I'm going to give you an answer. I can't tell you it's in the Bible, but this is just a rule of thumb. How do you know if you're eating, drinking, smoking too much? If you're doing these things when you should be doing other things, you're probably doing it too much. If those things are stopping you from doing other things that God has for you, perhaps you're doing it too much. Gambling. Oh, here's getting too chummy with another coworker. Hobbies can be idols. Money can be an idol. Pride and arrogance can be an idol. I'm going to tell you this because I love you, and, and I, I tell my, I, and this is for me too. Ain't none of us better than any of us. We're all messed up sinners. Every single one of us. If the Lord came to you tonight and He required your life like He did that foolish rich man, where would, where would God find you on your road? Would he find you on the road that he had intended for you? Or are you lost? Did you take some other road? Did you take some spur? Did you take some, some exit? Did you see a sign that said, come see the world's biggest bottle of ketchup? Oh, let's go see that. Or come see the world's biggest ball of string. Oh, we got to go see that. Maybe we've got off track. You know, shiny things get our attention maybe God's saying okay enough time with the ketchup bottle enough time with the string let's get back on the journey today would you get back on track today 
would you recalculate today? Would you go in the right direction and stop going the wrong direction? Today, would you decide to get on course and get away from being off course? Church, I'd like to uh, ask you to head uh, with the Father in prayer. If I could get every head to be bowed and every eye closed. What idol is it in your life that is making God compete for your time? Compete for your worship. Compete for your obedience. As soon as the Holy Spirit deposits that information or, or loads that information into your spirit, when you know, when, when you can identify what that idol is in your life, don't look for gold statues or wooden things, okay? You know what I'm talking about. We're talking about things that take away, a person, place, or thing that takes away from God, His glory. If you know what your idol is today, we, nobody looking around, this really ain't nobody's business. If you know what your idol is, you've identified it by the help of the Holy Spirit. Will you just lift your hand? You can put it right back down. Cool. Cool. Great. Cool. Hand's still going up. Anyone else? Cool. Anyone else? Cool. Thank you in the back. Anybody else? Thank you, hon. Anyone else? Okay, we, we know what our idol is. We know what our idol is. And we know where we need to be. Now what will you do to get to where you need to be? What do you need to let go? What guidelines do you need in place? What boundaries do you need to put in place? You've already made a big step by, by acknowledging your sin. That's the first step. Church, I want to ask if you would simply stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Y'all, in a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation to come forward. Just as a way of saying, Father God, there are times that you've allowed me difficulties that have challenged me. consequences that have come my way and Lord I've I thought you were being mean to me I thought you were being disgruntled towards me I thought you were being vindictive towards me but what I understand now Father God is that you were just trying to get me back and I was too stubborn and too pig headed to listen to begin with but you just want me back you love me just as much on the road as I am off the road, but you love me too much to let me stay in the woods. You love me too much to let me stay on the wrong exit. You love me too much to stay in a destination that you've not intended for me to stay at. You love me. And God, today I'm coming back home. I'm taking the hook out of my nose. I'm taking the chains off my hands in the name of Jesus. And I want to be restored. I'm going back to the Holy Land. I'm going back to the city of favor. I know that I can't bring that trash into your kingdom with me. I can't ask you, to God, to bless my life and leave my sin alone. So today I acknowledge I turn from my sin and I return to you. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus, as this invitation is about to be opened, I pray for every soul, every heart, every life that is making a commitment today, a fresh renewal commitment uh, of living in obedience with You, walking on the road that You have, walking, Father, hand in hand with You by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Lord God, would You set people free today? Would You set people back on a path of righteousness today? And Lord God, we pray that as much as You're willing, remove and cancel the consequence. Father, You can do that. Help us rise above it and to walk with You. As every head is bowed and every eye continue to be closed, brothers and sisters, the invitation is open. Would you come back to God this morning?
simply come up front, man. Make that choice. Make that one step. That whole journey of repentance starts with one step. Today, would you come? Get things right with God. Make a very public commitment. You don't have to be the first. There's already people up here. You don't have to be the first. There's already people here. Some of you are fighting the battle. You hate somebody. Maybe some of you got a stinking attitude. Critical of things. This is your invitation. Would you come right now? People still coming. People still coming. People still coming. Stop looking at your watch. You look to God. He'll give you your time. Heck, we don't know that God, God might come to us tonight and require our life of us. How are you going to feel? You going to feel regretful? Stupid? Remorse? How would you feel tonight if the Lord said, Tonight I require your life of you. Oh God, I wish I would have made some decisions this morning. God, I wish I would have made a commitment this morning. God, I wish I would have turned this morning. I wish I would have walked forward this morning. Sir or ma'am, you're not above this. You're not above this. You're no better than anybody else in this room. And maybe you don't think you need God. That's the problem. You're not self-sufficient. You're not all-reliant. You need somebody to pour into you, provide for you, give to you, protect you, restore you, redeem you, lift you up when things get tough. You need Him. And the beautiful thing is, He wants you. <laughs> he wants you. lap this morning. Sing it with us, church. Chris, let's do that bridge again. Church, with your hands in worship and surrender. Oh, what a Savior. We love you, Lord. Besides you, there is none above you. You are the God of the brokenhearted. You are the God of the broken. You are the God of those who cry out in the wilderness. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Almighty God, we thank You so much for the power of Your love. We thank You so much for the beautiful smell of Your mercy and Your grace. Thank You so much, Lord, for loving us when nobody else would or will. 
Thank you for coming to us, Lord, when everybody else would walk away. Thank you for being the God that breaks off chains. Thank you for being the God that removes strongholds. Thank you for being the God who heals and redeems and restores and empowers. And thank you for being the God that considers us your friend. My God. My God, what a God you are. God, I want to thank You for victory that You've given today. But Lord, there's something in my spirit that says You ain't done yet with what You're going to do from this service. Almighty God, keep attacking our heart. Don't let us stay on that desert road away from You. Don't let us stay on that road, that detour that we took on our own. Lord, we love You. And Lord, we pray for those who've made decisions. And we pray for Your church, Lord God. And we pray for this community. Lord, what You're doing... Oh God. Lord, would You let what You're doing in this room bleed out into the streets of this town? Because the joy we feel in this room, Lord God, it's not psychosomatic. It's real. God, the joy and the peace and the victory in this room right now is more real than anything that's outside them doors. And Father God, we look forward to the time where we enter into eternity and we cross from this road into glory. And we realize that the peace and the joy that we've experienced right now is just an appetizer for the joy that you have for us there. We long to see your face, Lord God. And help us see as much as you as we possibly can until we get home. And it's in Jesus' precious holy name I pray. The church said. Y'all Wednesday night at 6 o'clock we have our connect group. We're, gonna, we're still in Tony Evans' uh, U-turn. You'll, you'll get that. Read chapter 4 before Wednesday night. Um, no student ministry tonight. Celebrate Recovery is Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Everyone with a hurt, habit, or hang-up. It's not just for addicts. It's for folks who maybe you've lost a husband. Maybe you've lost a wife. Maybe you've got divorced. Maybe you're having a hard time at work. Celebrate Recovery is for you. So make sure you, you be there. Have a meal from 5 to 6 for everybody, and we'd love to have you.